Good morning. This morning we visit Psalm 134. Come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. This morning, I would love it if you would have your Bibles open to Psalm 134 as we continue, uh, better yet, uh, as we conclude our sermon series in the Psalms of Ascent, Songs for the Journey, the journey to worship in the presence of the Lord, Psalm 134. We've reached the end of our journey in our time in these Psalms of Ascent, and uh, we are used to often looking back at journeys with a certain sense of nostalgia. Uh, in a number of the commentaries that I read in the last week looking at Psalm 134, they pointed out how we tend to look back at recent journeys uh, with this sort of a warm sense. But then most of those commentaries were written before 2020. And we don't look back at the last number of months or even year with a certain warm sense. That nostalgia maybe isn't the same, but, but you're familiar with making a long journey and, and sort of longing for that time again. Uh, but then, when we think about the journey that the Psalms allude to in this journey of the Psalms of Ascent and the way that that journey is presented, this journey has been difficult. The journey of to approach the Lord in this world, to worship His great name, has many sufferings, many trials, many enemies. And we met many of those as we worked our way through these Psalms of Ascent, beginning in Psalm 120, all the way through now, Psalm 134. The journey of the Psalms of Ascent is a journey of pilgrims who have arrived at the end of their journey, and having arrived at the end of their journey, they would long to stay at their journey's conclusion, not to make that cyclical journey yet again. They would long to remain in the house of the Lord. This isn't a simple vacation. This is a journey of a people who have made a long trip that they wish was their final trip to make the destination their home. I think of our journeys Sunday after Sunday. You made the journey. I know how it works. It's a difficult journey for many of us. And that's why we kind of roll in 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes late sometimes this journey over and over again. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be beautiful if we could make this journey to, to celebrate and remember our God and remain in that place? that we could simply be brothers and sisters together in the presence of the Lord forever? There's no more being late. There's no more sort of leaving a bit of the normalcy of life to try to gather to a place that sings praises again because we remain in the place of singing praises in the presence of the Lord and the people who are called by his name. What if one day we could gather in the physical presence of our Redeemer and never leave? That is the Psalms of Ascent. That's the Psalms of Ascent in a, a bigger story, a story of redemption in which God is bringing a people to himself, a people to himself for the purpose of worship. 
on that day will remain, will no longer need instruction. We'll no longer need even to pause for a sermon in which we're instructed how to live in this life. As Hebrews 8, verse 11 says it, and they'll not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. Do you long for that day? Do you long for eternal, true worship, celebration in life in the presence of our God together as a redeemed people that our very presence and existence praises the Lord who has done this great work of redemption. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I, I would long for that. I would long for a day in which uh, we don't make preparations, but the angels and messengers of heaven, the saints who have gone before, the witnesses and the martyrs, and the Lamb, and the Father, and the Spirit has made preparation for eternal worship. True, complete, joy-filled, enduring worship. We long for that. And I pray that in this journey in which we have been instructed, in which we need instruction, that you're Psalms of Ascent would continue to instruct us this morning. Thank you, Lord. We trust in this, that your spirit would continue this work of preparation in us today. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in your name. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I thought this morning that one of the best uses of our time would begin to remember the journey to go back and as a sort of summary of the Psalms of Ascent, go back and, and consider just a verse or two from each one of these 15 Psalms, beginning at Psalm 120, verse 1. We remember the beginning of the journey and the land from which we came, which is filled with distress. We remember that so often our journey in Christ begins in this way. Psalm 120, verse 1. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. In my distress I called, and he answered. Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. The same place where we end today in Psalm 134. The journey is already hard, right at the beginning of the Psalms of Ascent, but we have our eyes set on our journey's end, and so we embark Psalm 122, verse 1, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. We were in a place of distress. The Lord has answered and he's called us to gather up in worship in his presence. But as we travel, the trouble is mounting. Verse, chapter, Psalm 123, verse 3, have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Psalm 124, verses 2 through 3, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. All the sentences we could say after that, right? If it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. But even in those moments of suffering and trial, enemies, we have moments of rejoicing and confidence on the journey. Psalm 125, verse 1, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. Psalm 
Psalm 126, verses 1 through 2. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. We put daily life in perspective in the midst of these trials and moments of confidence. We recognize that our lives Our families and our households are in the hands of the Lord. Psalm 127, verse 1, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Psalm 128, verse 1, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways, who walks in dependence upon Him. Now, As we draw closer to our journey's end, we see even increasing affliction and depths of suffering. Psalm 129, verse 2. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth, yet they have not prevailed against me. Psalm 130, verses 1 through 2. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. And in that deep place we begin to contemplate the Lord whom we approach in worship. And we say, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. We have been humbled by the journey. And we're coming closer to worship because the Lord has drawn near to us. We remember in Psalm 132, verse 8, Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. And at our journey's end, we discover not only the Lord, but we discover the family who is called by the Lord's name. Psalm 133, verse 1, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. And then we're there. We say with Psalm 134, verse 1, Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. This is our journey. This is the journey of all who are called by the name of the Lord to gather in his presence with the people who are called by his name. I can't help but look back at this progression of the Psalms of Ascent and notice that there is a parallel progression in Christian maturity in the journey of life itself. And I look around the room, and I know that there are people in this room that are all, at all stages of this journey. How many of us begin our journey with Christ in a season of distress? And it's in the season of distress that we cry out to the Lord, and the Lord answers us. It's the first time we've heard that sort of gracious, condescending, merciful voice. And the journey of faith begins. But with our eyes fixed upon the hills, we set out with confidence because the Lord is our help. Along the way, troubles often mounting. The journey is peppered with seasons of encouragement, rejoicing, hope. And then somewhere in our middle years, in our maturity in Christ, as the Lord strips us of our sense of control, we realize that our homes, our families, and our lives belong utterly to the Lord. 
They are as of nothing to ourselves. They belong to the Lord. And they belong also to his worship along with ourselves. And as we grow in maturity, the sufferings we experience are not the surface things that we've learned with maturity to hold loosely, but our sufferings become the deeper things that cry out, cause us to cry out to the Lord for mercy, for he has so often been our help in the past. And with maturity, we see he will be help again. We lift up our eyes to the hills again. Then at some point we realize with Christian maturity, a life of drawing near to the Lord for worship is so much more than our coming to God. At some point we realize that it's the Lord who has drawn near to us. That if the Lord had not drawn near, this whole journey up in ascension to Jerusalem is just ascending to yet another earthly city. But the Lord has come near to his people. And the people of the Lord who has made this journey with us, that has suffered many sufferings and trials with us, has gone through the growth of confidence in Christ together with us, these brothers and sisters become all the more precious because we see that it's not about these brothers and sisters. It's that the Lord has done something mighty among this people. and He's bringing us to the singular place of his presence. And then we come to the Christian's end. We finally enter into our rest to worship the Lord with all the servants of the Lord and enjoy the blessings of his presence forever. Friends, I've been in the room with many mature godly saints as they breathe their last. And you can see the whole story written on their face. And you can see that they're not coming to the end of a journey that they remember with nostalgia. They're coming to the end of a journey awaiting its final completion to be present with the Lord. See, our journey's end, this series of the Psalms, has been about a journey. We love in our culture to talk about the journey, to talk about the story. It's all about the journey, right? No. A journey in which these pilgrims leave their homes is to come to the journey's end. And the further along you are in this journey with Christ, you realize it's not all about the journey. It's all about Christ. It's all about leaving the things of this world behind in order to behold Him. The interesting thing in this life, though, as I mentioned at the beginning of our time in the Psalm of Ascents, is the believer in Jesus Christ is a pilgrim who never leaves home. How does that work? How do you go on a journey when you stay in Melbourne or Palm Bay or Vieira or Rockledge? What's this journey look like? When we are saved, when the Lord works his redemption in us, we don't pick up and move to a new city. Instead, what we do is we pick up and move to another life to enter into the journey, a journey that is the journey of worship. Just like our fellow pilgrims in these Psalms of Ascent, we worship on the way, and worship is the end of the way. If you look at our passage this morning, 
it really is the destination. It's really a, a psalm of great celebration, certainly of God, but it's also a celebration of the end of the journey. You can see the pilgrims as they're making their way up to the city. And they get there, and it's late at night, and they cry out, Come, bless the Lord, all of you servants of the Lord who stand by night. We arrived, and there's already preparation for worship taking place. And that's what we're here for. We don't want to just find an inn and wait. We want to see to and tend to and, and long for the worship of the Lord. That's where they've been going. This psalm is about blessing. The word shows up a number of times in the psalm. You can see it right in front of you. Come bless the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion. Now, interestingly, it's a psalm about two different sorts of blessings. We're going to begin by looking at what it is for the people of God to bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Come, or as other translations put it, behold, behold, bless the Lord. Come, bless the Lord. It's instruction, it's exhortation, and it's command. The, the feeling or disposition of the worshipers, the ministers, is irrelevant. They don't say, so uh, now that we're here, it's kind of night, I know everyone's tired, what do you guys think of blessing the Lord? Does that seem like that? Is everybody in? It's time to gather with the people of God on a Sunday morning. What do you think, family? You guys want to do that? Or I know it's been a long week. You see, the disposition of our emotions or our heart are irrelevant to the reality of where we're going. It ought to be irrelevant for the people of God when they make this journey. Do you think that after all of the trials, they finally got to where they were going and said, I don't know. We do that so often. We pretend like the journey of our life is to know and celebrate, to be in the presence and worship our God. And then the opportunity to do just that in the way that he has designed for his church comes. And we say things like, oh, it's been such a long week. I'm so, I don't know, maybe we'll catch up on community group. We do that. But our emotions, our feelings, our dispositions are irrelevant. We have a business to do. You hear me say that at the beginning of the service quite often. You'll also notice that it doesn't matter who it is that's, that's up here at the beginning of our call to worship. You'll notice it's not a welcome it's not a, 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 a let's go, guys. It's not, a, it's not trying to pump you up for worship. That's irrelevant. What's going to pump us up for worship is when we finally sing the songs and hear the words and remember the reality that our God is great. So we sing things like, how great is our God? And we start them like, how great is our God? And then we start thinking about it. We remember, wait a minute. He's actually great. And then somewhere along the line, may God and his spirit work in us to remember he is great. And we're finally doing, we're finally in the business, the labor, the work of what we're actually here for. Bless 
the Lord. Why? Why do we bless the Lord? Because today I'm feeling it. No. Because today he's worthy. Is he worthy of our worship? Bless the Lord. You're familiar with the benediction, the well saying. We say it every single week at the end of our service. We could say it at the beginning as well. The Lord bless you and keep you. This is what it is to bless the Lord and to receive his blessing. That's what this psalm is all about. We know what it is to need and long for the Lord's favor, the Lord's gifts, the Lord's presence, his peace, his kindness, his grace. We know what it is to be blessed by the Lord, but this psalm of ascent is a psalm that begins with, you bless the Lord. It's a little different, isn't it? How do you do that? I know what it is to cry out, Lord, bless us. How do we bless God? The difference in the meaning of the word blessing between those two things is who is the subject of the sentence? Is it God doing the blessing or is it creation doing the blessing? What, what power does man have to please or offer favor, blessing to God? What power do we have for that? The answer should be very quick, well, like, you know, none. We don't do God favors. We don't bless him. We aren't gracious toward him. We don't bring him peace. We have no favor. But the Lord does. He has power to functionally, actually bless. So to bless God becomes to say, God, you are good. How do we bless God? By reflecting back to God that he is able, that he is powerful, that he is mighty. Not that we would do something for the Lord, but that we would repeat to the Lord who he is. The myriads of the angels cry around the throne. And what do they cry? Oh Lord, oh Lord, what can we do for you today? Right? We are your ministers and servants. How might we help you? How might we offer favor and blessing to you? Is that the disposition of the servants? The throne? What do they do? How do they bless the Lord? Revelation chapter 5, verse 12. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. You kind of get the impression maybe they could go on for a while. How do we bless the Lord? We name that he is good. To bless the Lord is to say, God, you are good. To bless the Lord is to declare who he is. But to be blessed by the Lord is to be made good. To be blessed by the Lord is to receive the favor that we declare that is true about him. We cry, you are gracious. And he has grace upon us. Our words declare what we see and has been, and has been true from the beginning of creation. His word works. His word makes it true. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. Come and declare who God is. Declare that he is good. 
you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Servants of the Lord. The priests minister in the temple. And they minister in a manner that is blessing to the Lord. That means that they must speak. Listen, listen. If they are going to worship, if they are going to minister in the presence of the Lord in a manner that is blessing to the Lord, that means that they must speak and do as God himself has instructed, as God himself has spoken. You see, the, powerful, the power of the ministers or servants of worship, has no pow- they have no power in themselves to do anything. That's the whole the nature of being created and not creator. Being one who blessed by reflecting back to God what is true. Where do they find out? What do we do? What do we do that actually works? What do we do? How do we bless the Lord in a way that is powerful and able? By getting creative? By dreaming up new ideas for worship? Mm-mm. They bless the Lord according to the way that he has revealed according to how he has designed, the way that he has spoken. This is no, I mean, look at temple worship. It's down to the detail how the ministers in the temple are to bless the Lord. And when they deviated a little bit, like, let's just say there were problems, right? They have no power to worship outside of the declaration of God's own design. Friends, this is no less true of us. As the Spirit has called us His church, He has called us a kingdom of priests. And so our blessing, our praise, and our lives must be according to the Lord's command. For our life to be a blessing and praise to God, it has to reflect back to God His own words. Where's the power? Where's the power? Our creativity? Our faithfulness? God's word. We pay attention to it. We walk in light of it. And we reflect it back to him. This ought to instruct us in regards to the ways in which we gather. We don't gather to define or create how we gather. Rather, we learn how to gather as we give attention to the word. And we're learning. We should be learning together. We should be reforming how we worship. I've said many times about Cross Point Coast as a young church plant that's paying attention to what is around us. Unfortunately, so much that has been around us for so very long in our culture reflects more about creativity and sort of novel design than reflection upon the word and what God has said to us about how to gather. And I just wonder, as a young church plant, how immature are we? Even as we try to pay attention to to those who have gone before us, we're immature. We're not worshiping well. And that doesn't mean that we need to get more creative. It means that we need to reform our worship all the more according to what we discover in his word and others who have faithfully been about that business who have gone before us. We learn by giving attention to the word. I often mention that we're working our way through a story in our service, which is another way to say if we're walking through a story, we're walking through a liturgy on Sunday morning. It's not a big scary word. It's 
really just walking through the telling of a reality. But we didn't write the story. We didn't get creative about it. We're telling a story that begins with God, acknowledges our dependence upon Him, that approaches Him with repentance and confession, with a humility that the Lord requires, that gives priority to His Word, that remembers His Gospel and goes out contributing our lives, our time, talent, and treasure to the sacrifice of His praise. And we could do so much better. We could grow so much. May we mature as a church. I I hope that we get to be a 50-year-old church and might be a little bit better at worshiping our Lord according to what he has revealed. Now, one of the extremely important things for us to recognize about worship is that worship always takes place through sacrifice. What was the business of these servants of the Lord who were standing in the night, in the house of, standing by night in the house of the Lord. Well, so much of their labor was preparation for sacrifice or clean up from sacrifice. So much of the labor in the temple is centered around sacrifice. All worship in the temple takes place in that context. It's no less true for us. Well, how so? I didn't see anybody cleaning up after any sacrifices or prepping anything. This morning, listen to Hebrews chapter 10. This would be a great one to write in the margin of Psalm 134. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 14. And every priest stands daily at his service. What are they doing? Offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Worship for the church is worship in light of the covenant of Christ, that Christ has fulfilled. Worship for the church is worship through the sacrifice of Christ. We approach the Lord, we bless his name through the sacrifice of Christ. Sacrifice is still central to our worship. It's just the high priest has sat down because the deed is done so that we might approach the Lord as a people sanctified by his sacrifice. So all of a sudden, in light of that reality, Romans 12, 1 through 2 makes sense. Not in light of that, we think that there's a bunch of things that we need to do to be living sacrifices. But in light of the sacrifice of Christ that is final and perfect and sufficient to sanctify us, Romans 12, 1 through 2 makes sense. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, it's in here, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Because the sacrifice is sufficient, we have been made perfected and sanctified, as Hebrews puts it, so that we might worship holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, it's going to look like this. It's going to look like not being conformed to the world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. You see, it's still about God. It's not about you getting creative to show God just how cool you are. It's still about the will of God. 
what is good and acceptable and perfect in his sight. We'll discover it by paying attention to him and his word. Through the sacrifice of Christ, who has cleansed us and made us, quote, holy and acceptable to God, we live lives of worship to the one who has redeemed us. Worship is still through sacrifice. It's through Christ. This is our order of worship. This is our story on repeat until we enter that holy place. We're told that the priests stand by night in the house of the Lord. The priests keep watch at every hour of the day. They're making preparation. They tend to the serious business of worship. Charles Spurgeon, in reflecting upon their seriousness, every hour, every day, day by day, too often men look at public worship only from the out from the side of its usefulness to the people. But the other matter is of even higher importance. We must see to it that the Lord is adored, extolled, and had in reverence. How many times have I heard, said, have you heard or said, I don't know, I just didn't really get much out of it. Who? cares. Can I be honest? Am I so important in the universe that God would give His Son to fashion a people so that they would gather in His name, in the holy name of the Creator of the universe week after week after week so that I would get something out of it. It's important that we are being transformed, that we're being equipped and renewed. It was in Romans. I mean, come on, it's true, but it's not central. The question is, Lord, today, were you blessed? Was there anything about the way in which we gathered in humility that reflected back to you that you are holy, that you are great, that you are kind, that you've loved your people well, that you are to be held with reverence and awe, and we're to live in light of you? That is a good question. Bless the Lord, you servants of the Lord. The purpose of redemption is to cleanse a people for the worship of God. And yet, I look around and I see so much of what passes for worship really being worship as a means to self-improvement. It's not the business of worship. The business of worship is to bless the Lord. And then the passage turns, by the time you get to verse 3, lifting up hands to the holy place, blessing the Lord. Verse 3 then turns, may the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. Now it's fascinating how that is put. It's, we, we have these two realities of the blessing of the Lord 
We, we want to reflect to him that he is great, that he has carried us, that he has kept us, that he's bringing us to see him, that he's given us the great joy of living life in his presence, that he's transforming us and helping us and making us a people who reflect his glory. All of this is true. And so we cry out, Lord, bless your people. May the Lord bless you. And then it says, from Zion. Now that's important because of the contrast that comes up next. The Lord didn't make heaven and earth from Zion. Heaven and earth is what he made. Right? And so the Lord is the Holy One of the heavens, creator of heaven and earth. And he blesses us from Zion. What does that mean? It means he's drawn near. He is high and lifted up in his glory. But the one who is high and lifted up has drawn near. We just celebrated it in Christmas, people. Right? You know what I'm talking about. We know that Christ has drawn near. He's, he descended and he, he made his presence known in the temple. But even that was just a prefiguring that he would dwell, that he would tabernacle among us in the flesh as the Christ and dwell among us. That one day that holy city would descend and take up its residency and all of the people of God would be residents in that city worshiping his name forever. The Holy One, creator of heaven and earth, blesses us in the midst of the people. That's glorious. That's good news. It's in that sort of context that week after week we remember Numbers 6, 24 and 25. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The face of the Holy One, creator of heaven and earth, shining on you, gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. Friends, if the Lord looks at you, what is your disposition as a fallen creature? Well, in the blessing, the cry is, give you peace. He's dwelt among us, and he's worked grace for his people, and his countenance is light to his people. And when we see him, we know peace. As we wrap up our time in the Psalms of Ascent, Wrapping up in Psalm 134, it's so appropriate. It, it's such a, a, a wonderful, it's not just a period at the end of a long sentence. It's an exclamation point and summary. Eugene Peterson puts it this way. He uses two big words, but I think they're, they're pretty words. So I hope it's helpful. Charis means grace. Charis always demands the answer Eucharista. It simply means thanksgiving or gratitude. Grace and gratitude belong together like heaven and earth. Grace evokes gratitude like the voice and echo. 
Gratitude follows grace as thunder follows lightning. It's in the story that we tell on Sunday morning. It's in our gathering. We, re- we see who God is and we see that we're not that. And we remember his gospel that is the means by which we might be made his people. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ in our place where we ought to have died. His blood was poured out to cleanse us and forgive us of our sins. Friends, that's good news, sinners. We remember that. And we celebrate it in communion as we're still remembering and celebrating. And only then, Grace upon grace do we begin to respond with thanksgiving. We give our offering. We give our praise. And as we go with the blessing of the Lord, we give our lives in contribution to the greatness of our God. It's, if you'll notice, it's a liturgy that isn't just a service. It's a liturgy of the whole of our week. We say amen, and then we say, go and be the church, that we continue as the church, continuing to live in light of this story, in light of this liturgy, living lives of contribution and worship and praise to the greatness of our name until we can gather again and remember again the greatness of his grace, be compelled again to be sent, singing his praises. I want to close, and um, this psalm was particularly helpful for me this week. This, this week was another difficult week. I, I checked the calendar. It does say 2021, um, but you wouldn't know it by turning on the TV these days. It was a difficult week. In looking at Psalm 134, I was sitting on my front porch and I was watching the news at the same time on Wednesday and reading through the psalm and I ran across Charles Spurgeon, this final quote from Charles Spurgeon has been so helpful in our time in the Psalms, has he not? Thankful for God's work through that minister. Um, And I sent this to the elders. Charles Spurgeon writes, when night settles down on a church, the Lord has his watchers and holy ones still guarding the truth. And these must not be discouraged, but must bless the Lord, even when the darkest hours draw on. Be it ours to cheer them and lay them upon them this charge to bless the Lord at all times. What's the charge of the servants of the Lord? Oh, there's so many. It, it brings me to tears to think of the distractions. Church, what's the business of the church? What is the purpose for which we have been redeemed? singular. It's one thing. Bless the Lord. The Lord alone. Bless the Lord at all times. Let us, let his praise be continually on our mouths. I just wrote this as an encouragement to the elders, and I want to share it with you as an encouragement to the congregation. Brothers, I I feel like much in the culture that surrounds us, is settling into night and, quote, darkest hours. On my way home from our meeting last night, Sandy mentioned, that was a marathon elder meeting. But I want you to know that I'm glad that our church has commissioned us to stand by night. 
that they have given us the charge to bless the Lord at all times. I do pray solemnly with you that we will remain faithful, undistracted, clear, and eternally filled with joy even in these days in which we live. I love each one of you, and I'm glad to stand watch at night with you. Church, may that be true of us. May we stand watch with the singular clarity for which we have been called church at all. Bless the Lord. Heavenly Father, we have proven we're not good at that. And so may you bless us and keep us by the work, by the gospel of your Savior, of the Savior Jesus Christ, and by the indwelling and preserving work of your Spirit. Bless and keep your church. Amen.